Welcome to this episode of PageCast. Today, Nicola and I are joined by the debut author, Sia Turabi. She will be chatting to us about her magical book, The Last Beekeeper. The trees of Horikaya have always called to her son. He knows if he doesn't find the last beekeeper and salvage a precious jar of mythical black honey before the floods come, his mother will lose her sight. But then he wins a scholarship to study with the state governor in Karachi amidst a brewing storm of political turmoil and simmering espionage. His entire world is turned upside down when he meets Mariam, the governor's niece visiting from London. All the while, the fate of his mother and his promise to the bees calls him back to the forest. And so he must decide, Mariam or the beekeeper, England or Pakistan, his head or his heart. Reviewers on NetGalley stated that this is Sia Tarabi's debut novel. I fell in love with her lyrical writing, her vivid descriptions and her tale of family and friendship. The story has a lot of magical elements and a sort of fairy tale feeling at times as poetry and bees envelop her son. Now, before I jump into what that little, what, what that means to you, what has this journey meant to you? Did you ever think that you right now would be on the verge of topping bestseller lists? Oh, well, well, thank you, first of all, for having me. It's just such a, an incredible pleasure and um, to speak to you in South Africa. So um, I'm absolutely thrilled. No, I, I never thought about it. It was just something that I had to, I had to write. I, I never, and I'm glad I never thought about it really. Um, I'm just, um, it, the seed of the story um, fell into my, I was thinking about this today just before I talked to you. That, um, I went to a writing class um, about 10, just over 10 years ago when I was 40. I'm um, 51 now and yeah. <laughs> and um, I, um, it was it was a kind of really important moment in my life. I just finished my master's in art therapy. And it, it was kind of, I'd just been on this great journey of, of growth and self awareness for myself. And then I suddenly went into a writing class, something that I'd always wanted to do. I went in with such a feeling of joy. And I'd been looking for a story. I'd been, you know, I'd written short stories, but I'd been looking for a story for a novel. And um, the the seed of the story fell into my lap. So when I look back now, it was kind of something that I I just did. So, and I didn't think about how it would go um, later and how it is now. Um, and, but I, but something that really drove me is it's this story for Hassan and and I, and I feel that it's kind of flown out of my hands really so I feel kind of separate from the book in a way do, do you get that yeah completely from from seed to now how long are we talking from seed to now um 11 years when reading the book I felt super, super close to nature and it was absolutely magical living in a city and, and actually being transported to to uh, forests and the sound of humming bees and, and just the, I could smell, I could smell every little thing you described. But um, I'm just quickly going to read actually a passage. Sorry, here's my book um, that I think the listeners, just, just so that they can get an idea if they haven't um, bought the book yet. 
Dark fields melted into sandy flatlands. Villagers loved to tell stories about the forest coming to life as the sun set. Hassan didn't believe any of them, but it did feel as if lone palm trees were watching as he passed. Mighty banyans with roots like giant spider legs whispered to each other. The trunks of tall sambal trees extended outwards like the blades of fans and looked ready to spin. Were they worried for him? It was all superstition, but yins were said to hide behind every bush. And that passage, I was there. I was there when I was reading it. So just, I just want to know what about nature draws you to it? Why write about it? Yeah, I think I, I have um, had a craving for nature all my life. I've been brought up in cities. I was born in Karachi and we came to the UK when I was two. I was then brought up in Manchester. Then I, I then I wanted to go to university in London. I wanted to go somewhere bigger than Manchester, and I spent the re- uh, the most of my time. I, I had a stint in Germany for a few years, um, which was lovely. And then, um, yeah, I've been in cities. I've had this craving though for nature, this absolute craving. And every time I'm in nature, I don't feel lonely i there's something about it that makes me feel complete and 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 joyous and the apis dorsata um was it a what is it a bee species that you knew of as a child growing up during this craving or something that came late on in life um well the first time i visited um pakistan again after uh, after being brought up in England was when I was about 11, so just a bit younger than Hassan. And um, I, my my uncle there is a, a wildlife freak. He loves wildlife, coincidentally. And um, he was telling me about the bees and my cousins too, they've all got it from him. So he was telling me about the bees and then suddenly there was this huge um, bottle of honey, really like a two litre bottle of honey that was so dark. My aunt said to me, uh, that'll help your eyes. And then fast forward um, 30 years when I was 40, my sister-in-law, she gave me a birthday present quite randomly um, of a sustainable beekeeping course. (laughs) So I went there and it was in Wales and I learned that the, the, there's a species of honeybee in Pakistan that is in between uh, West and East, or was uh, in the 70s. And um, it was a very dark, very fierce species whose honey was really valuable and precious. And honey has been a, and a thing of legend in that area. So, um, so, I, I, so I used that. And... It, and and it, and and it's really interesting there's something about um the eyes too um Hassan's eyes um my grandmother actually had glaucoma and um she um i think honey was something that was applied i don't know whether she applied it to her eyes but it was something that was applied to to your eyes uh, in those days a lot what what made you Tell the story through the eyes of a son and not a young girl. That I mean, that is an interesting question as well because um, 
when I when I was in this writing class that I was telling you about that I went to, um, uh, the teacher gave us this writing exercise, and I saw a boy roughly Hassan's age. I didn't know how old he was, maybe between twelve and fourteen. I saw him skipping across a courtyard and I knew his name was Hassan and I knew that he was going to be the subject of my story and I had to find his story. And that's that's all I can say. It's really irrational. It just just came. So something during our research, something that came up was just like like in Hassan's case, uh, poetry and storytelling runs in the family with you. What are your early most your earliest experiences of, of storytelling? So, well, my I, w- I was brought up in, in England, so my earliest experiences of storytelling was a mixture between everything English. I, I devoured English stories, um, everything, really, that you can imagine. Um, but the, every, every week or so, my father um, organised gatherings of people from India and Pakistan who were who we'd known from those communities and who had also come to England at the time and so we'd tell each other stories um, every week Um, and these stories were very much based on kind of the ancestral traditions so those those oral stories that were handed down of 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 displacement and movement really Um, but also um, poetry, the poetry of Hafiz and Rumi. My grandfather um, was one of those people who memorised Rumi, you know, and and just said his verses. You mentioned um, in our in our pre-chapter, the interview, that you moved out of London recently into the countryside. That that change must have been phenomenal. It, it's phenomenal, and it was it was the right time for me because I I've loved city life and I've loved London, but it's um, actually working more from home. I'm kind of one of these typical people that has just moved moved away um, to, for more space and more greenery, and actually people outside of the city are just so friendly and lovely, you know. I believe that words have the ability to break boundaries, and I know that you believe that too, but also build walls, and that's what we've seen in the last beekeeper as well. Hassan befriends people at opposite opposite ends of the spectrum, and I think especially for South Africans ourselves, we see so much of this every day um, with the turmoil that we face within our country as well. Can you tell us more about what you wanted to depict in the storytelling? What I want to depict in the storytelling in terms of bringing difference in a way to the fore and and, it, and its acceptance. I mean, that's a really, really important question. And I think probably um, that will inevitably come out through my story storytelling. I, I, funnily enough, as I've come out of London, I feel... Um, much more part of this country because I've suddenly realised, as many Londoners do, that how, you know, I haven't suddenly realised, but I, I am constantly reminded how beautiful this country is uh, in terms of the nature. And actually, I think it's really, really important to see the goodness in people. And when you see the goodness, you get goodness. And and I think I think... 
that needs to come out beyond um, the darkness and the politics. The politics is really important, obviously, but I think there's another level. I think beyond that, the, the stories, uh, um, beyond beyond the drama, the drama, dramatic stories, perhaps this is, yeah, maybe, maybe what I'd like to do is kind of see hope and that people can see each other. And I think that's happening in England. Things have changed. You see it in the media. There's so many more people who are different, um, who with diverse communities. So you, that's really coming on. And that's, I think, when I was a child, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I really wanted to become an actress, and I thought, or an actor. I, I thought, no, I can't do it because I'm, I'm basically not white. Nobody's going to cast me, you know. But I think it's totally different today. I think it's. I think um, people are making an effort, and I think it's. There's still a lot of work to be done, um, but it's really important now that I feel that I have a voice to be able to to understand that and not um, ha have a, a growing awareness of of ignorance. Really. Well, you you definitely give us hope. Um especially reading your story and, and the relationships that just flourished in your book and, and also uh, the way in which the relationships developed in the book. And and just to be honest with you, Hassan's character alone gave me a lot of hope. Um, but coming back to you, you mentioned that you do draw from, from r real people um, when writing your stories, but memories are also important to you. Do you mind sharing a, one specific personal memory or two or three which you've weaved into a scene in The Last Beekeeper? Um, I think maybe maybe one personal memory is, a, is probably a big memory that I, I, I spoke about earlier is when I went to Karachi and I saw that huge bottle of dark honey and my aunt actually said to me, put this on your eyes <laughs> just to, to cure your short-sightedness. So I think that has been weaved into the story. So so perhaps there's some some of the elements of Mariam um, that I can relate to as well. I remember when I told my brother that I'm gonna I'm gonna write a story about Karachi. He said, "What do you know about Karachi? <laughs> you know, I don't you still write a story about North London, but um, <laughs> but." Um, but I, I have, I think every single time I went there, my memories were so strong. The impressions were so strong. For example, just just the buildings in Karachi, the colonial facades um, um, that that kind of uh, are the surface. And yet it feels a bit like a, a painting where where everything is is kind of before your eyes changing and in a way um kind of crumbling as well like the the colonial facades that reminded me of um when karachi was a just a, a very small seaport um before partition and and the influx of people that suddenly came in so that the the, the images of karachi are actually from my memories as well I, I imagine that characters are alive around you all the time during this process. Um, is a son in the room? Did you have to have a word with a son and put a son to bed, or when you closed, when you closed the final or finished the final chapter, 
I mean, how, how do you break up with a little boy? <laughs> I don't know how to, how to, yeah, it's just such a deep and spiritual and emotional journey that you go on that abruptly comes to an end when you decide that it's finished. I put it down and it kind of felt as if I had, I had fulfilled something that I needed to get fulfilled. I put it down and yeah, I mean, it's so hard, isn't it? Just to find a word for it. <laughs> It's not as if I didn't feel anything, but I, I just felt re actually gratitude, incredible gratitude that this seed has allowed to be grown through me. And in a way, it was it was basically like giving birth. When your time ran out with your characters and the book, when you finished the last page, what did you feel? And that is such a fantastic question, actually. When it came to publication, I think that was the hardest thing for me because it was as if I was getting, letting my kid out into the world um, beyond kind of university or whatever, just letting them go. And that, and I don't have any children, but I think I can relate, I can understand that. In and that's what it was like. And um, it's been a process to let the story go and hopefully um, let it be where it should be with in the hearts of other people. Let, let it grow there. I want to read one of my favorite parts of the book. The worker bees brought back a secret knowledge with them from the planets, written in an invisible language on their wings. Only humans that they love can read it, but these humans have to earn their trust first. How? Hassan asked. By giving back exactly the same amount of love as they received. Coin for coin, piece for piece. It's not easy. What's the secret language about? Hassan asked. Yeah, his father laughed and he threw his head back. Then he stopped and looked straight ahead. Serious. It's the secret to our existence. It's the answer to why and how we're here. The knowledge governs the law of time and numbers. It's the answer that makes us all equal. Thank you so, so much for joining us um, on this week's episode of PageCast. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much, both of you. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. It really has. Thank you so much, Sia. And also just to the readers, this is probably the most beautiful jacket that I've ever seen on a book. It's so, so beautiful. And the little bee in the center is just absolutely amazing. Um, this is definitely a book not to be missed. And Sia, we are excited to see everything else that you're going to churn out for us in, in the future. And we'll keep an eye out for, for the next one. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast.